guys, and welcome to the first episode of Associated Podcast 2020. I hope you guys had a, a great break. Um, and I'm here with Lois, and we have an awesome guest today, but I'll let Lois say hi first. Hello, happy new year. How was your break, Lois? Oh, it was so nice, thank you. How was yours? It was very relaxing, feeling very refreshed. Um, although when I came back to work, I literally had no idea what my job was. And I think, I think that happens yeah, that to a happens. lot of people. Um, Lois, do you want to intro, intro our guest today? Our first one for 2020? So today we are joined by Kieran Schmidt, who is an associate at Seedcamp. Kieran, thank you so much for joining us. Delighted to be here with you both today. I'm just going to ask you to repeat something that you just said to me <laughs> about your name when I complimented you on how it's spelled. So the question was the kind of unusual spelling there. Um, and I must admit, I was named after a rugby player, Kieran Bracken, um, who later unfortunately won Dancing on Ice, which he's now perhaps a little bit more famous for. Um, but the name actually comes from, from a rugby player who, who my mom took a fancy to. So, yeah, I have, I have him to thank for that. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. I didn't know he'd actually won Dancing on Ice. He did. You can, you can see the YouTube mm. videos. Yeah, very good that, performance. I didn't think rugby players would be like, particularly light on their feet. Yeah, a lot of parallels. You know, ballet. I think ballet and rugby probably have a lot in common in terms of strength. <laughs> okay, let's kick off. So, Kieran, as you know... Um, this podcast is all about getting the stories of um, different people working in the investment industry. So obviously you work at Seedcamp, a pretty well-known fund. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how long you've been there and what you do? Absolutely. So I joined Seedcamp in 2016. Um, it was a year after university. In the sort of preceding year, I had graduated um, with a degree in philosophy, politics and economics and deciding what to do with my life looked a bit actually at journalism as one of the things I was pretty keen on doing. So in that year after university, I had a few stints in um, some you know, national publications, actually a, a local newspaper as well, where I found that I was constantly drawn to technology and business was the main thing I was interested in looking at and reading about and even writing about. So that kind of path <laughs> led me to kind of examining the world of startups a bit more. Um, I had just wrapped up an internship at The Guardian and in the sort of weeks afterwards uh, was you know, wondering how to get into startup world. So actually joined a very, very early stage, the most earliest stage kind of possible uh, project that, you know, someone um, from my university was starting in the civic technology space. So yeah, that was my kind of first introduction to, to startup world. That project didn't last very long unfortunately, um, was very uh, shortly kind of aborted. But I had come across actually one of the members of the Seedcamp investment team at an event I was at, which was um, on VR of uh, all things, where he in fact mentioned Seedcamp were hiring for an intern. So that inspired me to take a bit of a look at it. I sent my application through after yeah, chatting with the um, the investment team member again. You know, a couple of weeks later, was uh, invited to meet the team. Um, shortly afterwards, yeah, accepted a, an offer there um, as intern. So that was my my journey in to to Seedcamp. Oh, very cool. So a super lucky meeting at this event that you went to then. Yeah, I mean, I think serendipity was uh, <laughs> a big part of it. I mean. There was some kind of shared interest, I guess. I was at the time pretty interested in in VR, AR, and uh, 
you know, the investment team member um, kind of leading on that space internally uh, was also obviously there. So I guess it was there was a, a kind of good overlap in kind of stuff we could talk about, which was, I think, um, you know, made the initial conversation, you know, a, a lot easier and probably showed some kind of natural interest in the space more broadly. Mm. Yeah, we like to keep um, a little list of resources of things that guests mentioned. So do, I know it was a while ago now, but do you remember which event it was? Gosh, it was a it was an event at the the digital catapult. Actually, I'm not sure um, if they're still running that kind of program of events, but that was where it was at. I don't. Uh, they definitely still do stuff in kind of frontier technologies. I'm not sure how recently they've done something in open and public facing in that, but I know that they're certainly still doing a lot of work in in VR. So worth checking out. Okay, awesome. And so, with your application, do you remember exactly what you had to send in? Because I'm assuming that. Uh, you know, a firm like Seedcamp gets quite a lot of applications, especially from interns. So, yeah, what I mean, if you could kind of elaborate what you sent in and maybe um, and you kind of touched on like the commonalities you had, but maybe what made your profile stand out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, frankly, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily the kind of application which would have stood out. As I recall, it was you know, quite a short form. Um, definitely the, the application form we have for our internship now is, is much more sort of uh, substantive in the kind of questions that are um, asks for, for kind of applicants. But you know, at the time, I think it was more the kind of quite targeted, quite personal reach out um, that I had um, sent to the investment team member, which I think probably showed that, you know, I'd taken the time to actually research his background and some of the companies he had been um, sort of involved with before. Um, which was sort of the yeah, invitation to that to that first step, and I think I think frankly I think probably the, the kind of interview meeting the team was probably the most important kind of element in um, yeah identifying that that fit <laughs> with uh, with both of us. Got it. And um, at the time, do you did you get a sense of like the culture or like characteristics that they were looking for in in their interns? And I, I'm guessing that these are also pretty transferable to like colleagues that you would hiring now um, or traits that you would look for in potential colleagues yeah I mean absolutely I think uh, the culture that was advertised in that first meeting with uh, everyone is the culture uh, that exists there today I mean uh, kind of a few elements uh, that stood out was um, pretty flat hierarchy I could see that even at the time that everyone I was meeting from the team was empowered to ask whatever everyone had a sort of voice um, and, and were allowed um, to have one. So I could I could kind of see that straight away. I could definitely see that was a almost familial like uh, bond between um, everyone on the team, including actually, you know, the most recent starters. So I was interviewed by um, Natasha, who's our very awesome uh, head of marketing. She had actually started two weeks before me um, and was, you know, already clearly kind of welcome and empowered member of the team. Um, we actually got into a, a big debate <laughs> during our interview, which was, uh, I think, uh, fun for her, definitely fun for me. Um, and yeah, it definitely showed me kind of at the time that this was a team I would uh, would love to work with. And have you been involved in much hiring since then, since you joined? Yeah, I mean, with our internship process, definitely take a, a keen interest in you know making sure we're seeing lots of interesting um, candidates, especially a kind of like diverse range of candidates there. So I've been pretty actively involved in the in the intern hiring process before. Um, our most second most recent intern, uh, George, who's actually joined one of our uh, portfolio companies, Passbase, uh, actually met George at, at an event. He was uh, helping co-run at, at King's College. You know, we got talking and he had actually 
worked at two portfolio companies before already as a sort of 21 year old, which was pretty impressive. So he'd been at TransferWise and Manise. So um, yeah, I thought, you know, definitely worth keeping in touch with him. And um, and we did, and he, he later joined. So yeah, I mean, I think the having been an intern at Seacamp, you know, myself, I think um, understand a bit the sort of a little bit on kind of what, what we're looking for in candidates and, and who might be a kind of fit for the, the very all encompassing and, and strange job that it can be at times. Oh, that's a really cool story. I love that it's kind of cyclical. You met someone else at an event who went on to be an intern with you as well. Yeah, I know. Pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> it sounds like the advice uh, to anyone listening who wants to get into seed camp is go to lots of events. <laughs> I'd say, uh, you know, don't go to events for kind of networking in and of itself. It's, uh, you know, in, in both of those events, I mean, it was actually a real kind of intellectual curiosity in the in the subjects that meant I was there or, or he was there. So the first one was just, you know, I was interested in that technology. The second event was one I was I was speaking at. It was a it was a student panel um, on how to get into VC. And so he, you know, he clearly had also an interest in that space. So yeah, I think networking for networking's sake isn't um, something I would I would advise, but you know, definitely, you know, following your intellectual curiosity um, and you know to, to wherever it leads you is is something I would one hundred percent absolutely advise. To to anyone looking to enter the space yeah I think that's valuable information actually like I was having this conversation with a couple of friends in different sectors over the weekend um, and one of them said oh I, I I got some advice recently um, someone told me that networking is just like being friendly to people <laughs> and I was like I think probably in what we do that might be slightly more obvious in, in that we're constantly sort of meeting new people all the time and eventually you just stop associating it with this, this phrase networking and just start thinking of it more as like making great connections with interesting people. I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, you can get the very superficial network where you maybe know a lot of people and have a lot of LinkedIn connections, but actually, you know, how impactful is that when, you know, you're helping a portfolio founder or one of your fa uh, businesses is, is raising capital, probably less so. So, you know, when, when I think about what's important when it comes to the idea of networking, I think it's actually showing real value and, you know, making impactful connections and not kind of like throwing yourself about everywhere, but, you know, actually cultivating these, these things that add value to, to everyone. Cool. And just jumping back slightly to the hiring process, um, I just wanted to ask, you know, from, from the experience that you've had so far interviewing interns and different people at Seacamp, is there anything in particular that you either look for or that stands out that you, you know, you really liked in a certain candidate or something like that? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely many sort of things we would look for um, that would point out the fact that a candidate's probably likely to be a very strong fit. Um a lot of our, our interns have, have gone on to do some very exciting things. Um, you know, actually, one of the investment partners we have, Sia, used to be an intern. You know, one of the, the former partners at Kima Ventures, Vincent, was an intern at Seacamp. We have um, Ricardo Sequera, who's at Point Nine, also used to be an intern. And you know, people at the likes of Facebook and Filecoin. So it's a, it's a pretty kind of exciting alumni <laughs> cohort. And you know, they're not all sort of you know, the same profile Everyone has kind of different strengths and different attributes. I would say you know, there are a couple of things we definitely do look for, though. Um, one being the sort of intellectual curiosity I mentioned, willing to learn about kind of topics um, out of one's comfort zone um, and, you know, 
picking up something very quickly. So you know, as a sector agnostic early stage fund, you know, we have conversations with companies from you know, the quantum computing world to uh, plant-based meat to you know, companies in the health tech space. So it's it's you know, a pretty wide range of things we see. So someone has to be sort of comfortable with, you know, maybe not being the expert in everything. Um, and, and that's definitely something we, we look for today. And also a kind of a willingness to get stuck in I guess, you know, the, the role of an intern isn't always going to be the most glamorous of jobs. So I think um, you know, not having a kind of pretensions about what's being asked of you is, is definitely something that we see indicative of someone that's you know likely to succeed uh, in the role. And more broadly, I guess, related to the first one is having opinions and you know, building one's own view on a sector or a um, you know, technology of interest and you know, being quite thoughtful in that. Okay, cool. Um, just coming back to what you, what you said about getting stuck in, um, how did you feel, you know, your first few weeks, um, in your internship versus maybe the preconception or understanding you had a venture beforehand? Did, did it kind of match up to your expectations? Um, was it completely different? Were you kind of thrown in the deep end? Um, uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of preconceptions, I guess, um, Certainly one of the things that, that most surprised me that is just pretty obvious now is that the speed of decision making that um, you have to and are, are compelled to um, to do as an early stage investor, you have to make these decisions um, very quickly on very little information. So you know, that was one thing that was um, not a shock, but definitely something to get used to that, you know, you would have to quickly review a deck or um, some company information and maybe have a view as to you know, whether um, the opportunity cost of speaking to this company versus another company was was worth it. So you know, that was that was definitely pretty surprising. I think um, the one thing that I was definitely um, was was very positively impressed by after starting was um, was actually the the strength of relationships um, with the founders uh, and and our team and um, how how close those bonds could be. Uh, you know, we we actually have some of our portfolio founders on the on the floor with us, which is great. Certainly among the the more early stage of the businesses we back and um, yeah, I mean I've you know made uh, friends uh, from actually some of our founders from just that proximity and, and getting to know them and uh, yeah, I think uh, we're we're pretty unique in, in that aspect that investing so early, um, you know we, we we build pretty strong relationships with with our founders that will hopefully last for for many years. And and were those relationships started when you were when you were interning? So right off the bat, you were screening companies, working with founders directly. And, um, yeah, and um, that's you know the really exciting thing I think about the the sort of role. As I mentioned earlier, you know the the culture was was you know, pretty flat. Um, obviously, it's kind of lunacy to expect a sort of a early twenties um, grad to to know everything. So I, I definitely kind of wasn't like that at, at all. But you know, showing value to founders and helping them where possible, and you know, lending your kind of uh, opinion to them or uh, or helping out, I think is is definitely one way to as I said, build those relationships with them. And um, yeah, absolutely. We were, um, you know, all of the interns are kind of empowered to do that. And definitely one of the, I think, lasting benefits of the role is that you are on first name terms with uh, what may hopefully be the founders of, uh, you know, billion dollar plus companies potentially, um, which is, you know, obviously super exciting. Got it. Um, and so how does the 
how did the progression um, come about at, at Seed Camp? Because you moved through, you know, several roles until now and you're, you're an associate. Do, could you just maybe headline like how your role changed over, over the past three years now? Yeah, absolutely. So from a kind of chronological perspective, um, so I had started in October 2016. I was promoted to analyst in April 2017, um, ahead of us raising our new fund. And then um, in November of uh, 2019, made the made the shift to associate. I think it's a it's a nice progression. I mean, internships are, are fairly rare in venture is the unfortunate thing. There are just obviously, you know, relatively speaking, quite quite a few venture firms. So, um, you know, there aren't tons of these roles available. I do think, you know, venture itself is almost a kind of a craft. So this was a, a quite kind of smooth transition from, you know, knowing nothing to knowing hopefully a little bit. Um, and almost like an apprenticeship, as I said, in, in, in that sense, you know, the kind of osmosis of, of learning from, you know, people who've been there, done that, you know, invested in, in, 300 plus companies to date and, and you know, many more transactions, uh, hundreds of founders, the kind of, yeah, the way that they would impart knowledge, you would just absorb, um, you know, was, was fantastic. And, you know, slowly getting more exposure to the investment side and building trust with uh, members of the team that actually, you know, um, had an opinion there and, and, and could be trusted to make kind of decisions, um, uh, in that sense. So that was, that was the kind of transition. It was also structured a bit around sort of fun timing. So as I said, you know, we were, um, in April time raising our new funds. So, um, it was with the view that you know, when that was fully in place, uh, um, and, and that closed in November, 2017, our most recent fund, fund four, which was a 60 million pound fund that I would then join properly full time. So that was this kind of shift from intern to analyst and then more recently from analyst to associate. I guess the, the, the major changes have been, you know, working with a few more portfolio companies on a kind of direct basis and, and having that responsibility as maybe even being the you know, primary point of contact for, for some of those. So again, that was a kind of trust thing. It was having a few companies where maybe I was the sort of secondary lead and showing um, some value there such that, you know, you could be trusted to actually to, to lead on you know, what are actually pretty important relationships. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, actually, the the question of trust. And you said earlier, and I was actually going to pick up on it, so I'm glad you mentioned it again, about, you know, making those relationships with people who are trusted to make decisions. And, you know, I don't think trust is a binary by any stretch in this scenario. But I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about what that means to you. It's a really <laughs> tough question. I guess, um, you know, trust is... Uh, it can be evidenced kind of many ways that uh, it's um, and also we look for the kind of idea of trust and integrity when we make investment decisions, not just sort of hiring or internal HR decisions about the team. It's a it's a pretty important kind of theme for us in, in, in business more generally, I guess, ways of, of kind of identifying that, you know, this is a trustful relationship is, you know, when it's not sort of one off transactional kind of tit for tat. I think that that is definitely kind of, um, you know, one thing of uh, one strong way of evidencing that. I think um, another is, you know, more broadly, the sort of idea of, of radical candor and owning up to your mistakes and also, you know, just admitting the sort of limits of your knowledge as an intern screening some companies and you know, seeing opportunities I had very little idea. Um, sometimes on, I would, you know, be open to 
just saying, actually, you know, I don't know a tremendous amount about X, but, you know, for reasons why this might be interesting. And I think those are those are attributes of kind of, you know, humility and um, you know, acknowledging the limits of, of what you know that that um, will always you know, build trust in, in relationships and are important also when we make those decisions investment wise. Yeah, and I think, you know, Seedcamp's obviously an, an early stage fund and we'll get into a bit more on Seedcamp's thesis in a, in a little bit. But as you say, sometimes there's very little to go on and actually emotional intelligence, I think, is increasingly becoming something that we're all looking for more and is a lot more interesting to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess we'll, <laughs> we'll cover our, our investment strategy later. But yeah, emotional intelligence when it comes to founders is, is just supremely important because um, these are people hopefully building enterprises worth hundreds of millions, employing hundreds of people. You need someone um, who can understand how to lead people and motivate people and retain people uh, to build organizations of that scale. So, you know, it's, it's supremely important. I wonder if now might be a good time to take our listener question, actually, if we're about to move on to diving into what Seed Camp's all about. Is that okay? Yeah, sounds good. Lois, who do we have this week? Okay, this week our question comes from Ellie Marsh. And um, so she wants to know a little bit more about what makes Seed Camp different from other VC funds and how that impacts uh, the criteria that you assess deals against. Thanks for your uh, question, Ellie. Um, yeah, I guess Seacom is is pretty unique and uh, different in in many kind of senses. Um, you know, to founders as a proposition, why Seedcamp is different. You know, there are there are many reasons. So, one is this sort of pan European approach. You know, we're investing across the entire continent. So, you know, have portfolio companies not just in the in the UK, but in France and Germany and Estonia and Romania and Prague and yeah. Anyway, you can kind of think. So I think that that cross-European reach is, is pretty important. I think secondly, also as a proposition to founders, it's the, it's the strength of those relationships with um, downstream investors. So, you know, Seedcamp is lucky to, to count, you know, many later stage VCs as LPs, as actually investors in, in our fund from, you know, an index ventures to an Atomico um, through to seed funds like a local globe or a connect um, all are all investors in, in Seedcamp itself. So those, you know, the strength of those investor relationships and also relationships with the many, many funds, including those in the US um, with whom we've co-invested over the um, past decade plus, uh, I think are, are pretty compelling. And thirdly, um, you know, the the founder network that we have, um, you know, Seedcamp has been around since 2007 and has invested, as I said, in over 320 companies to date. So that's a, it's a pretty sizable um, portfolio. It's a pretty sizable network of people. Um, and actually, you know, we find the kind of network effects that come from um, that portfolio, from that set of people can be you know, super impactful for, for founders, whether that be, you know, unlocking insights if they're operating in a similar sector, maybe they're an insurer tech business and having, you know, specific questions related to that, you know, they can tap into the, um, the several businesses we've backed in that space. Or it can be more broadly sort of tactical things for, for sort of early stage founders, you know, maybe they've just raised a pre-seed round and now looking at a seed round, well, actually, you know, you can just chat to the same founders who've been through um, that process, you know, maybe even weeks ago, days ago, and kind of get the, the freshest knowledge possible. So I think that is definitely, um, you know, one of our, our biggest strengths and, and certainly one of the things the the founders seem to most appreciate. Yeah, and that's super impressive with, with such um, a huge number of investments and a large portfolio. Um, 
how do you kind of keep track of all of those relationships and do you have any structures in place to do that? Absolutely. I mean, I guess, you know, it's a question we often get, which is how do we you know, manage those relationships with, with such a large portfolio? Um, the important thing to note is that, you know, obviously the support is most concentrated in, in those early stages of the business. So, you know, we would say typically the first kind of 18 months, which are, are pretty critical in the early life cycle of a business ahead of raising, say, a series A. And, you know, naturally as you know, our founders go on to raise uh, further rounds. They uh, attract new investors who can hopefully pick up a bit of the load when it comes to certain operational issues. So there's a natural kind of drop off there um, in the kind of work that, you know, we're, um, we're having to provide with the portfolio companies. That's not to say that, you know, we're not still working hard for those founders that are several years in and actually around key inflection points like future fundraisers and uh, even acquisition events. We, we definitely are still, you know, close with our founders. But you know, more broadly, I guess, uh, outside of that, that first 18 months, there still is a large portfolio. And, um, you know, that's, that's managed internally through, you know, a combination of internal tools. So we have, um, a kind of operating system as it were, we like to think we're, we're data driven. I hope probably, I think most VCs think they're data driven, um, where, you know, we track the kind of, um, developments in the portfolio and are pretty keen also to, democratize that knowledge within the team so it's not just siloed with um you know the one investment lead or the the secondary person dealing with that company actually it's knowledge that you know our head of marketing has and our tech lead has that they can act on as well where you know they can be helpful so it's that kind of combination of of data um and uh you know shared knowledge with the rest of the team that um helps us kind of manage that Okay, got it. I mean, you must have so many, I guess, experiences or, or data points, like you said, about what challenges companies go through, you know, in the first 18 months and just the, the volume of experiences you're able to, to, to observe or kind of share with these founders. I, I know it's a very, very broad question, but could you bucket those maybe early stage challenges into, I don't know, like the top one or two obstacles that most if not all founders face in the first 18 months of starting their business? Sure. Um, I mean, I can try. As you say, you know, there are you know, different cases and every business has you know, many different challenges and it, there's not kind of um, one problem or obstacle that everyone sort of runs into. I guess there are a couple we see recur fairly often. I think, um, you know, one obstacle or, or, or thing we try uh, encourage our founders to avoid is the trap of you know immediately getting obsessed with those kind of investment relationships following our round um you know it's obviously true that founders should be cultivating those um relationships and um you know, keeping people updated and the the mantra of always be raising um holds some truth but i think you know there's a a real um kind of peril sometimes of, of founders just getting too obsessed with that whole VC raising process. And um, actually, from a sort of time management perspective, uh, whether having just closed around and still kind of maintaining you know, tens of conversations and just thinking obsessively about that, whether that is really kind of going to drive the needle when it comes to building a significant business. So I think those, those sort of uh, investor type challenges do reoccur. And we do see that. Um, you know, maybe the second one, I think, um, most companies will face this is just 
the problem of talent and, and attracting the right talent, especially as an early stage you know, business, even on the technical side, especially attracting kind of engineers and so on is, is difficult when you don't have a brand name. So yeah, th- these are, you know, kind of one of the issues we see. So, and I think there, there are ways to sort of rectify that. You know, one is leveraging your investors and the sort of brand pedigree that comes from investors and your network and the network of founders that you're building to sort of um, increase your pool of talent, I think is one way of rectifying that. But those are, I think, will probably be two of the two of the more recurrent challenges we see sometimes with early stage companies. Okay, makes sense. Uh, what do you think your favorite thing is about your job? And I'm going to ask you for the least favorite as well. <laughs> so probably the the most fun thing um, about the job is uh, outside of just you know the relationships we have with the the founders and and that's super rewarding is. Um, I would actually say the the context switching, which um, I actually think many uh, folk find difficult sometimes to adapt to in VC, which is you know going from one topic to another and another technology to another um, can be sort of pretty disorientating. But you know actually um, I think it's it's pretty thrilling to have such a kind of wide exposure um, to to kind of different themes. And probably if there's one characteristic that is shared by pretty much every member of the Seedcamp team, um, it is that kind of uh intellectual adhd you might call it which is that you know you're um just super interested in kind of every topic and wanting to read more and learn more and yeah i think that's that's the most fun thing um that i i I love about the job yeah that does sound really fun i think we can all identify with that um and petra alluded to it do you have any thoughts on let's not say your least favorite thing but you know (laughs) something that maybe you, you wish you had to do less of yeah i mean for sure you know, when you're dealing with so many founders and reviewing so many companies, you're only investing in such a small subset of those and you have to turn down or reject many, many more. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a very, it's a very tough and, um, psychologically kind of draining job to, to reject companies. Um, it's obviously super important to, to do it, to provide kind of feedback and where you can on, you know, what, um, where our reservations and question marks lay because, you know, a business that is able to absorb that, take that feedback on and, you know, within maybe months, um, iterate on that. And we've seen that several times and invested in businesses that have done that, um, you know, shows just the kind of strength of a team, but kind of creating and, and doing those rejections. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, not always the most fun of tasks but you know obviously it's is super important so so to clarify the reason that i asked <laughs> about this question specifically is that i think venture can sometimes be um be glossed over or glamorized if you you know if you're a reader of TechCrunch or wired or any of these publications it kind of or you know log on to twitter and you follow a few investors it's, it, it it kind of makes vc out to be this like extremely glamorous you know um job where you're just going out to coffee and events and meeting people and kind of having fun and i think th- this job you know just as much as it has it's like amazing um opportunities and 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 positives that there are aspects of you know like any job that are draining or tiring and i think it's important for you know people especially when like in 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 your position or or who were in your position maybe three or four years ago who are interns or still studying and looking for the next role and are you know and are very keen on on venture to understand that you know this isn't this isn't the dream 
job all the time 100% of the time yeah sorry I just wanted to cut in because I think it's so important and actually links back to what we were saying earlier about like emotional intelligence and empathy so even with founders I think um I've seen quite a lot of stuff on Twitter recently um with VCs saying how many companies they look at like per quarter or per year and the percentage that they say yes to and I think like obviously that doesn't come as a surprise to me or, or to you because as you say we spend sort of most of our time sadly saying no to people but I'm not sure how well publicized that is outside of um outside of the VC industry and I think it's important for founders to know that not not just because um I think that those stats might actually get more challenging for them but um I think it's also hopefully heartening to know that, you know, you're up against so much competition and it's not necessarily that um, your business is, you know, not great or not going to be super successful. Sometimes it is simply a numbers game. No, you're exactly right. And um, there are even opportunity costs in taking conversations and taking meetings. Uh, You know, we're we're time limited at the end of the day. So, um, you know, probably there are are many more companies that are actually very interesting that we're just not able to have conversations with. So it's just a almost a kind of sign of respect to them that actually if you if you don't take a meeting and um, you're just kind of like actually not wasting either of your your time. But yeah, it's uh, that's not to say that you're extremely privileged to have and you know, meet kind of very smart founders um, every day who um, have decided to um, give up kind of job security from you know more traditional companies to to work on something that um, they're deeply passionate about and you know having the time to to chat to them every day is it's a it's an enormous privilege so what piece of advice would you give uh, students who are looking to get into venture, maybe haven't had um, an, an internship or work experience on in either venture capital or the startup scene? Sure. I mean, I would definitely say kind of thought leadership and intellectual curiosity, showcasing those even as a student, which is you know possible with you know, blogs and um, you know, video content or, or whatever it is. However, you kind of want to have your opinions formulated and, and shown to others. I think that's that's definitely you know one way to um, build your understanding of the space and um, also show uh, your value to prospective kind of VCs who who are hiring. So I would. Uh, you know, I would encourage people to to read widely, to kind of speak widely to to folk, um, to follow their curiosity, whether it wherever it takes them, um, and build opinions on on things as well. So it's not just kind of maintaining an encyclopedic knowledge of every single raise that's happened in uh, the kind of insure tech sector or whatever. It's actually having some you know, strong and thought out opinions about you know why. A particular sector is compelling or even why it's not so yeah that, that would be one of the you know main things i would advise so you just you know write and, and build opinions and, and test them out with people cool and how do you feel about um do, do you think that it's necessary to have completed like a university or higher degree education to get into venture or how would you value that versus like great internships at um at, at startups or even in in in, in vc so I, I definitely think don't think it's kind of mandatory or at all a requirement that you, know, you need to go to university um, to to be a good investor. Absolutely not. We are 
um, lucky enough to be participants actually in um, a scheme called uh, Included VC, um, which is attracting uh, candidates to the sector from many different walks of life who've maybe not had more traditional backgrounds. So you know, we're we're pretty keen, keenly recognise that you know that's not the case, and um, but obviously they're still recognising it's probably a bit more difficult to get in to the space without that. Um, background. Um, that said, you know, joining companies early on and um, you know ascending through the ranks, perhaps as a, a sort of operator who builds up um, strong knowledge in a particular functional area or a particular sector, means I think um, perhaps a bit later on in in your career is a is actually a really strong kind of entry point into the sector. Okay, I'm I'm glad that you're, you you said that because I think there's some I think maybe now more and more tech companies are a lot more open about where they're hiring from. I think Google or Facebook, I don't know, some big like definitely a big tech company did away with that requirement of having to have like an undergraduate even postgraduate degree um, to to apply and and excel and do well in in their companies. But what I was told, I remember when I was in like my first or second year of VC is that I had to have a degree in finance. And I really wish that at the time I had like ran that, you know, piece of advice across more people because it basically, I mean, it was still, you know, I'm still glad that I did that degree, but I think, um, I think that kind of misinformation, could potentially be quite quite hurtful to, to other people. I think you're exactly right. I think um, industries that sort of work in tandem with each other begin to evolve and kind of mirror um, each other. So, you know, for example, in the kind of finance space uh, and, and the legal profession um, and the consulting firms, you know, they'll often have kind of hiring processes that almost kind of mirror each other as a function of working so sort of symbiotically together, I think. Now, that's a, a good progression that's happening in venture. As you say, you know, the likes of Facebook, Google, et cetera, kind of relaxing their, their sort of entry requirements and being open to people from non-traditional backgrounds, um, not falling into this sort of credential trap and actually, you know, thinking what's important is what, what you can do is, is enormously beneficial um, thing for the for the whole ecosystem and, and venture is starting to kind of replicate that um, by working, I think, so closely with technology. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. And actually, I wonder if hiring practices might kind of um, move in waves as well. And, and sometimes there are certain trends in what's kind of popular and what, what certain funds are hiring for. So I think probably more traditionally, it would be sort of consulting or finance backgrounds, like like you said, Petra. Um, whereas now I think actually I'm seeing a lot of um, job uh, ads that are talking about operational experience and experience um you know, within sort of earlier stage companies as being really valuable. And I think that's, you know, it can only be a good thing if we start to broaden the net on that. So Kieran, um, is Seed Camp hiring at the moment for interns or, you know, non-interns? So as it currently stands, uh, we are not hiring, but um, potentially many of your listeners may be several months down the line, um, in which case we might be. So we advertise our, our flagship internship program every six months. So um, I would keep a, an eye out for that. Um, we post via AngelList and share on Twitter and so on. So um, if you're at uni or um, and close to graduating, you know, I would, I would keep an eye on that for, for, when we're, for when we're advertising that. Or maybe you're in even a kind of startup or somewhere else right now and just, yeah, keep, a, keep an eye out for that. Um, okay, we're running out of time. So I just wanted to close out with one last question, uh, which I always think is one of the most interesting things to talk about. Um, which is sort of what kind of things are you 
really interested in at the moment or just about to dive into that you think is going to be really big this year? Sure. Um, so Seacamp isn't a kind of thematic investor. So, you know, we're not building these kind of um, sector theses and then going after a kind of category with that reason. Obviously, you know, investing at such an early stage, we are largely kind of reacting to the market and um, what founders and entrepreneurs are actually deciding to build. So, you know, that can be pretty interesting, you know, maybe in surfacing some themes that, that might be big um, further down the line. And um, I guess, you know, Seacamp has always been pretty interested in, in fintech. Um, you know, we're fortunate to have been the first investors in both uh, TransferWise and, uh, and Revolut, um, along with a, a couple of um, very successful fintech businesses like a, a Manise or, or a WeFox or a Cover um, and, and a few others on top of that. So you know, fintech has always been pretty interesting and compelling for us. And we, we certainly see kind of new themes emerging today around sort of credit um, credit models for even B2B um, purposes, you know, credit for, say, um, uh, tuition financing. We, we invested in a business called Student Finance um, out of uh, Portugal and Spain, which is, you know, um, popularizing uh, income sharing agreements for people doing sort of student boot camps in coding courses, etc. So that's sort of one theme where we're currently kind of naturally sort of looking at. Another big one, um, that we just see a lot of stuff being built around uh, today's um, this whole future of work uh, category. So we're actually touching upon some of the themes you know, we've discussed today around kind of credentials and um, you know, how companies are changing hiring practices, etc. I think um, work is going to look radically different in the next couple of years to how it's ever looked. You know, you have not only the sort of physical decoupling of kind of office space um, from, um, you know, an employee's work life as, you know, many people start doing even more remote work. You have platforms um, that are empowering kind of ordinary people to become entrepreneurs of their own right. So, you know, kind of YouTube and uh, Etsy and all these platforms are can just kind of amplify, um, you know, people's reach as, as they've never done before. So you know, these are themes we're pretty interested in the whole kind of passion economy. Um, and there are several investments we've, we've not yet announced, unfortunately, that, um, that should be announced soon in that kind of, um, space. And, uh, yeah, I guess more broadly, uh, how, um, how you kind of service, um, employees of the future and companies of the future when there are those kind of trends around remote work and collaboration and, you know, um, and the freelance kind of economy. These are, these are themes that we're seeing, um, lots of very intelligent founders, uh, start new companies in. Cool. I love the passion economy. Mm. What a cool phrase. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And that fintech roll call is just, wow. <laughs> that is impressive, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kieran. This has been wonderful. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Sure. So if you are a founder and interested in receiving investment, um, we're very happy to receive cold submissions. So actually on our, on our website, there's a dedicated landing page um, where you can submit your details and um, we'll get back to you um, on that. So uh, check that out if you're a founder. Otherwise, you know, feel free to kind of add me on LinkedIn or reach out to me on LinkedIn and um, you can just find my name, Kieran Schmidt, not the rugby player. <laughs> and it's is it an sh or an sch it's an sch okay cool um well there you have it thank you so much karen for spending um your monday evening with us thank you so much it's been super fun cool
As always, you can reach out to us at associated underscore pod on Twitter or associated podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love all the feedback you've been sending us. Any questions for our uh, future speakers, just stay tuned. Um, and otherwise, thanks for listening. Um, so we just signed the, the episode with Kieran off, but we're actually back because Kieran, after we stopped recording, was so sweet and presented us with two boxes of chocolate, didn't he, Lois? He did. And we just, we need to say thank you to him. We need yeah. to shout him out. And it was such a nice little pick me up after a long, uh, Monday, uh, back at work. So yeah, thanks Kieran. Uh, we appreciate it. We loved having you on. Yeah, thank you, Kieran. We're both going to go home and eat our chocolates in our pajamas now. Yes, exactly. Okay, this is the real sign-off now. Uh, Subscribe and follow us. Thank you. Bye.